Now in their 19th year, Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher, flicks, and cult classics. You don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, but you do have to go to Fright Rags for their pieces collection, celebrating the 40th anniversary of the iconic slasher with new tees. All officially licensed and available now at fright-rags.com. Bastards! Colors of the Dark listeners get 10% off when they use code Colors of Dark 2022 at checkout. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Severin. It may be a hot summer, but Severin is bringing a blood-chilling September with one of the all-time great horror films like you've never seen or heard it before, The Changeling, starring George C. Scott. It's a three-disc collection featuring the new UHD 4K scan, a Blu-ray, the soundtrack CD, and over four hours of special features. Also on Blu-ray in September from Severin, the Plaga Zombie Trilogy, the legendary Spanish anthology series, Tales to Keep You Awake, the Al Adamson double feature, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, and Brain of Blood. Find all this and much more at severinfilms.com. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric King. Yeah, you always make me feel somber because of how I'm introduced. Like, you start off all excited, your arm's in the air every time, and then suddenly when my name's said, I feel like now I'm coming in with low energy. I'm like, oh, it's Elric. Hold on, hold on. Uh, here I am. Uh, and with me is Elric King! No, actually, the somber thing was probably correct. No, no, okay, okay. Elric King. Okay, no, hey, either way, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be standing. You're standing. I'm standing. We're not standing together. I'm actually sitting right but now. You're but you're sitting yes, in Winnipeg. That's not the same. I am in Winnipeg in a fancy, well, mid-range hotel yeah. room um, that I am at for the next couple of nights while I'm doing some fine cutting on my new film. Nice. Um, yeah. Not the one that's coming out on Shutter yesterday. Yes. Um, Glorious just streeted on Shutter yesterday and will be joined by the producer Morgan Peter Brown to talk about um, Glorious and Cosmic Horror later on in the show. Yeah, we'll be um, a little shorter up front because we have a whole we have a whole big all cooled in-depth uh cosmic Cosmic car convo with him which is always a fun topic um but you've been shooting too yeah finishing up so i'm done i'm done that's all i'm saying i'm done i'm done shooting it feels that's all you're giving it feels very good to be done done shooting um because that went on for a while uh but yeah no no it feels good to i can move into the next phase yay um which which involves far less energy physical energy uh, but, but yeah, no, really good, really fun. And it'll be, it's a nice way to spend our summers doing crazy shit. No kidding. Oh my gosh. But we are back now. Elric has just started school. I start school on next Monday. And so now we're back in the groove yes, and the grind. Kind of, whatever that looks watching. like. I think we're going to have to do some go... in-person uh, shows again because I'm getting so, oh man, we do so much over Zoom for so many years. I'm just getting Zoomed out, <laughs> right? man. Uh, we'll have to talk it, to we Ernie. have a studio that is all like, hey, come here anytime. I'm all for in-person shows because I feel like yeah. I never get to see you in person anymore. Yeah. But just to remedy that, you're going to go to the movies with me next week. I don't care what we're seeing. Figure There's out what's something playing really cool bed. coming out. I can't Bodies, remember. Bodies, Bodies is playing right yeah, now. Yeah, I do want to see that. But is something that else is coming out right after that that I am. It's, it'll come back to me. Anyway, I haven't seen Bodies, Bodies yet. Well, but I do then. Wanna. 
We have to plan some movies out. I'm going to check the new Bev schedule as well. Um, Because I feel, okay, well, I did just see you last Thursday, but it feels like it's been forever. Oh, that was on a stage with a thousand people, though. Yes, but I hosted the the Q&A afterwards, even though I was just getting off my cold. I was sick all last weekend, but it was was actually really fun. Got to see some um, old friends and... Uh, most importantly, we got to see a really banger movie on a big screen. It was really fun to see it that way. I'm really glad I got to see it that way. And a mysterious listener, uh, quite a few listeners came up to me actually outside, which was interesting. One who had just like come from very far away, which I was impressed. But one came up to me and handed me an old, uh, many, many moons ago ep- uh, issue of Fangoria all about Fright Night 2. And I thought this, so this person literally came. I didn't get his name. So thank you, uh, listener who gave me Fright Night 2. Uh, issue of Fangor. It just goes to show what nice listeners we have. Very cool. Um, but that was cool to see it in such a glorious way. And everyone else will get to see it on Shutter, which can also be glorious if your home setup's good. Yeah. Hopefully it is. Um, so I watched a wide range of stuff this week, like from this is the hit new blockbuster to, oh my God, Becca, that. Um, so yeah, but I'm going to start by saying evil because I know you have not caught up. And no, you I've need did the to. first I, season. Whole first as season, I yeah. clap my hands, um, yeah. you need to finish up the second season and dive into the third because I need somebody to talk about evil with. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just say that the third season finale ended in the most beautiful way possible with so many demons and so much weirdness. And I have absolutely loved the third season. And I talk about this because I talked about the start of the third season while you were gone. And I said that I was having problems warming up to the third season because it was getting bonkers. It wasn't examining like traditional horror stuff. Like this is a vampire or I think my kid's possessed. It was really getting into like weird contemporary things and how you can infuse horror into them. Like topics this season for evil were um, stock markets, cryptocurrency, TikTok, road trips, mm. video games like Animal Crossing, like demons infecting those. Um, and they have done it all so cleverly. Mm. Um, so I have absolutely loved where it's gone and I loved this finale okay. so much. So I just, for those of you who have not jumped in yet, take this moment, go back to season one and just start plowing through and, and get up through end of season three. I need they, them, or wait, what From. is it? They, them. From, thank you. Th- that was the show on Amazon Prime yeah. with Ryan Quanton in it. Um, I need From to come back now because yeah. since Evil has ended, I'm I'm out of shit to watch. I've got like, so you think you can dance and that is not in any way horror. So um, I need some of my other horror shows to come back. I tried watching the American Horror Story stories yeah. on Hulu and I did like three or four of them and they just, um, because they're anthology, it did not grip me and encourage me to keep going. Um, so I need I need from to come back like pronto. Yeah, that's the kind of story I don't want it to go off air too long. You know, one that you might dig. I don't know if I saw the last episode, but it might be on the same channel. And I actually think you might take to it is Chapelweight, which was oh, the Salem's the Lot prequel kind of to thing. Salem's Lot. Yeah, right? Major okay. Brody. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty weird, and it does have a bit of a Lovecraftian vibe for that story. I actually think I my subscription ran out before I got to like the final episode, so I might have to go back myself. But I remember digging it and thinking it was super interesting. I think if you're looking for an image, it's not maybe as fun as the two you're talking about, but I do think you might get into it um, if you're looking for something to bridge seasons. Um, I need something. Well, what of these I'm, big I'm movies? Gonna get, we start? I'm going to get antsy. Let's start with Day Shift. Um, yes. Netflix, big one. I, I'll just tell you how I saw this because I didn't actually know about it. I heard Joe Dante say it was the best film of the year. 
on his podcast. He loved it, loved the directing of it. And the director was a guest on it. And it was very interesting. It was actually, I highly recommend this for people to listen to because this guy is not a director. He has been a, well, he is a director now, of course, but he was a second unit director, but mostly a stuntman for the last 20 years and did the stunt previs stuff. On oh, huge that movies, makes huge movies. So much. Yeah. Sense. So he's, oh my and the gosh. way he described it, he's like, well, really, people who do stunt previs for massive movies are directing more than the director tends to get to do. And so he really had done a lot, but he was very down to earth, very funny, and had great stories and knew everyone in the business. So it was a very interesting, and he was very much in love with the movies of the 80s, right? So that's what he was trying to do. And I think he really did achieve that. Um, this is about Jamie Foxx playing a uh, L.A. pool cleaner by day who is actually um, secretly and not so secretly because it's in the first five minutes uh, is actually a vampire hunter, cashes in their fangs for money. And he's trying to get back into like the the corporate side of the game, yeah. right? That's the setup. there's very much like two worlds of vampire hunting. There's vampire hunting within the union where you are licensed, you are following protocols, but you get paid higher. And then there's kind of like the fringy underground, almost bounty hunter esque yeah. vampire hunters who are selling teeth to like these underground markets. I don't even know what they do with the teeth. Yeah. They, they never really got Not there. really. Yeah. Um, that's the weird thing. They're valuable and you get all this money, but what do they do with it? Like, does it, if that yeah, what do they power, do you'd be like, Oh, yeah. Is it like medicine? Yeah. It's also, um, well, that thing though that you just said about the kind of the two worlds, one of one of the issue with this movie, even though it's very well made and fun uh, beyond the fact that the story has some like meh kind of story thing. It's uh, John Wick. Like, like it it's like John the Wick. secret society about, and then it's John Wick mixed with Fright Night, mixed with, you know, the babysitter mixed with Netflix mixed, you know what I mean? And so even though it's, good and easy to watch and fun it also feels overstuffed too many movies so that was my biggest complaint with it so i have to say i watched the opening scene of this movie which is fucking amazing like the cold open for this movie i was like this is the best movie of the year by midway through i was like i feel like i've seen this movie and then there were some really good set pieces within that there were just some really amazing set pieces like honestly i will watch snoop dogg in anything watching him as like a western vampire hunter i loved he was great in this um but that said i watched it four days ago and the only scene i can still remember is that cold open yeah well they use they use contortionists as the vampires all the way through and it's very interesting the way they do that they they, it actually really Mm -hmm. works for these like some of the choreography of the attacks but i thought dave franco was really funny in it i think he was playing kind of the the everyman boring uh kind of a guy who's teamed up with jamie fox uh and i just like they had some funny gags together it's um but but it's just too many too many things you had too familiar in that way it's it felt like a lot of different movies, especially because Dave Franco became our second character yeah. and he becomes like our secondary protagonist. We did not even meet him until after the 30 minute yeah, probably, yeah. Um, Like it just, I felt like I want, like they needed more development time on that script. Like it did not have what I would consider to be a solid through line going from A to B to C. Instead, it kind of zigzagged all over the place. We follow Jamie Foxx's character for the first 30 minutes. We meet his family. His family gets abducted. Then we meet somebody else. And then it spins off into a completely different film than how it felt in the first 30 minutes. It's one of those Um, issues, you know, when they... um 
when you watch a movie where like people are killed and it's real nasty and brutal and then oh now i've got your family and you know not a hair on their head is going to get damaged and you start going that's too safe for this kind of movie like like when you're going to have so many people vampires being ripped to shreds but you won't kill the humans it's a little too safe for this kind of movie i think it needs to be a little crazy and i will say uh the old adage is always true your movie is as good as its villain and this movie has a total zero villain like there's no mm-hmm. big bad really there's a character who's meant to be a real estate agent and she's like okay why am i and and so there's some really cool scenes some really cool characters a really fun idea i could see it having sequels for sure yeah but it's, i still you know, recommend seeing yeah. this it's got fun stuff to it but yeah i have to agree with you the villain totally forgettable like she's like, just like not and she's not even doing anything that bad to anyone and she just you know? walks around and like acts bitchy yeah. and that's about it yeah. um but yeah there are just fun scenes and fun horror setups just don't think too hard about the plot i will say what i did like it's set in the valley yeah. it is set in the san fernando valley where i lived where elric lived for a long time and most of the time if you're shooting a film in the valley there's like this glorification of the valley where it's like this 1980s like mecca and this is not that this is the real valley which is hot and dirty and covered in spray paint and shitty apartments everywhere yeah. yeah and and you know bodegas on every other block half of which you assume are kind of fronts for other businesses which they are in the movie um it really it felt true to the valley yeah. as i know it and it was the first time i'd kind of seen the valley portrayed in film i will say there were definitely some coherency problems um like where one moment he would be driving through studio city and then he would take a left and now he's clearly in van nuys um That's and just so anybody who yeah and so anybody who lives in the valley have fun with that don't critique the movie for it they're obviously going to edit first you know the cinematicness of it um but it was fun to be like you're an evil clown liquor how are you over at carney's hot dogs already type stuff um so yeah it was fun yeah but you know again it's like for a netflix one i I much preferred it to that one night teeth from a couple months earlier which just was Mm -hmm. felt very disposable to me that one whereas this one at least is you know better john wick vampire movie than you know something weaker than that um but you just wish it it was a little bit more original that way i need some more netflix horror game like there was a stretch during the pandemic where they did ritual they did perfection they had bird box and it felt like they okay this is really becoming a good place and uh some of the horror that i've seen that has been like the netflix exclusives as of late it just hasn't they're more babysitter-ish now i feel like bigger and and glossy and even though babysitter's fun it's babysitter was great i miss those but this feels more like that kind of filmmaking i I, to me anyway (laughs) i agree i prefer the darker weirder stuff but uh i'm sure this stuff does better so yeah in tall grass which i'm going to talk about later which was the straight to netflix was one that i was just like blown away by i need more of those so but this one it was fun don't worry hulu's got you because hulu put out a new movie definitely had me put out a new movie that is doing very well which is nice to see holy shit i will be bold and say this may be the best Predator movie. Well, it honestly, for me, it's the second it's, best, but that's still saying a lot. <laughs> this it's it's this is honestly one of the best Predator movies ever, yeah. and this is Prey, um, which is set long, long I think ago, three hundred years on, ago, from um, what I said, yeah, on the thing, yeah, focused on the Comanche tribe. 
Um, and it brings in French fur traders and a couple other characters with it, but it's mostly focused on the Comanche tribe as they, um, and our main focus is a girl who wants to be um, kind of, she's coming of age and uh, her brother is being like going through um, kind of the warrior rituals to be established as a warrior within the tribe. And she is much, very much like, no, I want to do this. I want to be a hunter. I want to track. And she's really good at it, but no one's giving her her, you know, dues with it. Everybody's kind of like, no, no, you go back home and cook. Yeah, putting um, her own mother who, so, want, who doesn't want yeah. her to, and the, and she's played by Amber Mid Thunder, who's just it's one of those things where you have never, you know, she's been in a lot of other stuff, but you feel like you're seeing someone for the first time and they're already a star. Like you're watching a movie, she was going, "You are amazing. a star now." Yeah, she's fantastic, amazing. and and it's so physical. It's a very physical movie, and it's very well, like just the, the throwing of the she's you know throwing her little axe back and forth and back and forth and back, and it just really you start to really believe how trained she is yeah. and, and it's it's a really fun predator movie because also what we love about the predator once beyond the first one where you didn't know what the story would be you know we know predator wants to hunt the best people you know and so and the best game and the, it, there are scenes in this there's a scene with a bear that's awesome there's just some really cool oh shit stuff. the bear scene oh yeah it was wild it's really cool and that's yeah. dan trachenberg who you know is a really good director cloverfield uh lane is, a, is that what's called the one where they're trapped mm-hmm. in the bunker um which is a great movie and you know this i think that what's interesting i think the most interesting beyond the fact that's just great movie the only the only negative i had was um while I was watching it, it wasn't that, you know, and everyone was choosing whether to watch it in English or the Comanche dubbed version. And I usually don't avoid dubs because they're dubbed. But what was interesting um, was the English version, even though it's fine, there's a few line readings and stuff where they're just they're just doing it way too modern. It feel, It's not just that it's in English. It's like they're, it feels like now, the way there's... Yeah, I, there's like contemporary sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. And that took me out. But then when you go to the Comanche version it plays completely right when you watch it like that because those lines are probably a big part of the humor of the culture. And so I was like, oh, I'm so that I so I did watch some of it in Comanche and the next time I watch it, I'm going to watch it only in that version because, you know, first time you're never really sure which version to watch of a movie. Um, but I do think some of that will be improved. It's it's really, it's a really- So unique. I did both um, because Monty, our friend yeah. Monty Yazzie had texted me and been, had said like, you definitely want to watch the Comanche version. Um, and so I watched that one first and then I wanted to hear the actors real voices. And so I went back and watched probably the first half again, um, as the movie is. Yeah. Um, and there was something so beautiful about hearing it in kind of the native tongue, even if it was dubbed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially, well, especially in the time period as well. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think it's kind of cool though, that people can have a reason to watch this twice and get a very different uh, impact. But no, this is a this is a terrific movie. Definitely absolutely one of the best films uh, genre films of the year and mm-hmm. it just goes to show, you know, we're not done with some of these stories. You just have to simplify the approach or you know, find a new new world, new voice to see the story through, right? The predator, yeah. the alien, the whatever it's going to be. Um and yeah, so I'm really glad this is doing well. But the the more interesting convo that I thought it sparks because a lot of people are then mad because it was a good and B they didn't see it on a screen. A lot of people then like, well, this should have been released in theaters and not put on streamers. And I would usually be one of those, but what it did remind me had this come to theaters, it probably would have tanked based on the last predator movie and therefore it wouldn't. And we would get no more of them 
but because there's I enjoyed the last Predator movie. You, you Thank did, you. and and I think that and I there's lots of things about it that I thought were fun in terms of writing, but but it you know it does, didn't work overall as a film, finished film. Yeah, and and so you're like, but this movie coming out this way with lower stakes has been the most successful movie Hulu's ever put out. And so now mm-hmm. that guarantees us more of something we want. And now you're like, okay, so may, I'm hoping in the long run, there'll be something like, you know, a, a consecutive one week theatrical for those who like watching movies like that, but the pressure isn't there for theatrical. And so it's still, because I think that's something that we, we're all a little short-sighted with our, oh, I prefer movies on screen. Of course I do. But I also think that the failure and what can happen by going theatrical because P and a people forget how expensive advertising a movie is. That's what kills you. And so it's like here, the stakes were lower and it, they hit it out of the park. And I think that could be uh, something for us to learn about that. Some of our favorite things could come back and last longer um, with these models. And we will see what happens. Cause I don't know a hundred percent yet, but Hellraiser is slated for the same channel. Obviously this is a great sign for Hellraiser that Prey did so well on there. Uh, I would just say, wouldn't it be cool if it also had some theatrical, I think that would be very neat at the same time. No. And I gotta say that how Hulu across the board They have given us some horror that has really impressed me for the past couple of years. I was looking back over like our top 10 list for the last few years. And even just last year, well, this year, like I have a feeling fresh is going to end up on there for me. Um, Even looking back like last year, Save Yourselves is a great film, which I don't think you ever saw. And that's a damn, damn shame. Little Monsters was one of mine from a couple of years ago. Um, There was the one that was based on a Nathan Ballingard story, Wounds. Yeah. Well, yeah, I no, I almost brought that up in the part we record next because you were talking about a specific. Uh, you're talking about a Japanese film that that made me think of some viral. Of the, yeah, some of the moments in Wound are like that, where you're kind it of going into Wound like is definitely that, Lovecraftian yeah. and cosmic for sure. Um, definitely, unfortunately, we should yeah. mention that we won't, but we should. We should have if, um, if we could rewrite the the recent past, we would. Um, and, and so would the lead actor of Wound, I bet, if he could rewrite the past. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe less cannibalism in his life, but you know, moving on. <laughs> um, so moving on from topical. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let's let's go there. Let's just fucking go there. Um, so Elric, I watched The Suckling. Oh. Um, this is the most topical yeah. movie happening in America. So just so you know, my my a couple <laughs> years ago, I posted that the greatest double feature of all time would be four months, three weeks, two days, and The Suckling. Now, that would be the most hard-hitting uh, abortion <laughs> double feature you could ever imagine. Banned in Texas. Oh, my God. For sure. Banned in Texas. Oh, my God. So um, the only thing that I knew about The Suckling is that when we had had vinegar syndrome on last time, we had asked them for like, what are some of the wrecks that people might have missed that they should check out? And I'm pretty sure it was James was like, you know, The Suckling's really cool. So I purchased The Suckling and The Suckling has sat on my bookshelf for probably a year and a half until, um, or I guess it's been a year. We had them on during their Black Friday sale last uh-huh. year. So it's been a year. Um, and so this week I was suddenly like, well, yes, it's time for me to check out The Suckling. Now, I did not read the back of this. I was just like, cool fucking monster on the front. Let's put this bad boy in. Oh my God. This movie is terrible and somehow the most watchable thing I've ever seen in my life. It's horrible and somehow the most watchable thing I've ever seen in my life. It's abhorrent in the cringiest possible way, but somehow the most watchable thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, It is from 1990. The setup is that there is this, a 
abortion clinic back alley. Slash you have to say brothel. back alley for abortion clinic. Back alley, back alley abortion yeah. clinic slash brothel. Somehow, yeah, it's all happening under one That's roof. Um, run by this woman named Big Mama. Yeah. Um, and everything I'm about to say is just wrong, wrong, wrongy, wrong. But one of the abortions somehow gets into the sewer ends up in toxic waste and then grows to immense proportions and comes back to um, take revenge on those who expelled It's like the alligator of abortion movies. Is it pro-life? I don't (laughs) know. There is nothing, nothing sacred about this movie. So um, yeah, it is continuous, just sophomoric humor after sophomoric humor mixed with really bad acting. But I have to say, what made this movie so watchable that creature and the creature effects are so goddamn good. Yeah. Like that creature is so good. That creature outacts anybody else in this movie and it's like a puppet. Um, but it is such good creature. Effects. It definitely feels like it exists in the same world as Hen and Lauder and people like that. Like characters could for like Belial or someone could exist in this world uh, because the characters are also quite grotesque or private parts of grotesque. another movie. Yeah. Uh, um, Hen and Lauder had good acting. Yeah. Um, this this is kind of um, not, no, yeah, not really. but it is a Hen and Lauder vibe through the whole thing because it is this kind of grotesque world of grotesque creatures. I'd say Street Trash kind of has that same vibe well, as well. Do you, do you um, know a little bit? Of, do you know who played the suckling? I do not know who played the suckling. I should oh, have. Get, no, no, no. This is just for you. I can't wait for this moment to see your face right now. The suckling is played by Mike Gingold. Are you fucking serious? No, this is this is a true fact in horror lore. Is that Michael Gingold? I don't know if he played it the whole time, but he is in the costume for the suckling. It is an actual. So your old workmate from Fangoria and friend is, is partially the suckling, the at least suckling. in the same way that I'm Lizard Man, but no one's seen Lizard Man. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I now feel good for saying that the suckling, the actual. You just said the acting was great. Yeah, actor. you did good. Yeah, it was. He the, no, and I'm not kidding. The creature effects in this movie are so good it outweighs the appalling acting through most of it. Um, but yes, that said, if you are just looking for the vinegar syndrome, holy fucking shit! How does this exist? Bonkers ride into depravity that is also hilarious. The Suckling from 1990s is the wild, depraved, hilarious uh, movie that you've never seen, but probably should. Um, I recommend this one with caution. Again, it is about an abortion. Um, But yeah, there is something so terribly wild and watchable about this This film film is just trying to get us to talk about the situation in america this film is just (laughs) trying to take it out of the darkness and out of the medieval quality of this yeah no this film's not trying to do any of that but it is this film is exploitation no agenda agenda. you know there and there are definitely films i'll say that have this kind of caliber to them that i feel are trying to do something like i have long proselytized the killer condom um the killer condom It's great. And it's legit trying to talk about, it's got LGBTQ messaging in it. It's trying to talk about STDs. Like there's a lot of heavy stuff being talked about in the killer condom. It gets lost in the killer Mm. condom. And so I don't think a lot of people saw it because of that, but it's legit a good movie trying to make some important commentary. This is not, this is just a wow trying to make no comment or, or it is but it's anything. just not doing it very cleanly it's just not doing it <laughs> um, so, yeah. but it is uh, movies like this do take on some other weight just because of what happens in politics and then suddenly you're like wow here's a fucking 
bonkers movie that I we wouldn't wish yeah. this world on any per, poor soul. So uh, another reason why uh, we shouldn't be uh, putting it into darkness. But um, okay, yes. So I'm glad you got to see that. That makes me happy, and even happier that you now know your old friend uh, is in it. Um, and I, I assume the Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday sale is coming up. Um, yeah, this weekend in a month or two. Or I think there's one um, coming up. Not, yeah. This. Oh, is I think there's weekend? some sort of one this weekend or something. Oh, really? Okay. I was thinking their Black Friday sale is always amazing. Like yeah. that's always when I go crazy um, and buy a whole bunch of stuff that it then takes me a year to circle back through. But yeah, um, the suckling. Okay. Well, my last one, I'll be real quick because I don't want to give away too much. It might be my favorite movie of the year. Now, I'm going to put a caveat to that. Dick Gruner, when he started, I, I had heard about it about a year ago and it was like, even the still looked like my kind of movie. Um there's even shots in it that were actually almost exactly like the thing I just been shooting. So I was like, weird. It was, it actually threw me off. Um, but this is a film called resurrection. It is stars, Rebecca Hall from Nighthouse, and an mm-hmm. even more bonkers performance that she just gave in Nighthouse, which is equally intense. This is by a guy called Andrew Siemens. And I'm not going to say the thing that makes this movie. There's, there's some stuff you learn about 45 minutes in that is so fucked up and weird in this otherwise not weird but intense movie that makes this movie one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, That said, if you go to Amazon, it's currently getting one out of five stars. It is getting absolutely trashed by certain people because they get very angry. So I think even a lot of our listeners, especially if I say this is my favorite of the year, a lot of people will be like, oh, I got to see it. Like This is also coming from the guy who loves possession. It has that kind of energy. It's a possession energy movie. It is very intense. Her performance is incredible. Uh, she is a woman, high, high uh, prolific. She works in um, a kind of health sector, drug, pharmaceutical kind of world. She does really well. She lives in New York. She has a daughter who's 17, about to turn 18, and she's really super protective of her, uh, and the daughter's really over it. It's almost like this is the good version of Uma, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where it's got that same thing. Um, and she's very disciplined and she is an under control person. She has casual sex with a coworker, but doesn't really let feelings come into it. She's, but she also seems really cool, like pretty cool. And like, she's got her shit together. She's giving dating advice to like the girl who works for her at the start of this movie. And then one day she sees somebody at a conference from behind and she has a full panic attack and shuts down. And it's Tim Roth and Tim Roth enters this movie as I think one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in any movie, to be perfectly honest, because of the story around him. And I'm not going to touch mm-hmm. it with a 10 foot pole. There is a, I'm not kidding. There's an eight minute monologue in the middle of this movie where she tells you the story of their past. It is one of the best things I've seen on film in a long time where somebody's just telling you a story and you are gripped to the fucking screen. Like I haven't been gripped in a while. Uh, and he plays it so cool. He would, what I can say is he was a controlling person from her past when she was 19 and he was very mm-hmm. manipulative and he made her do things. And and so it's about control. And now that he's entered again, she is having this all of her order and of her life is falling apart because of what he represents from her past. And you don't know what's going to happen from there. And of course, she's terrified for her daughter because she doesn't know what his agenda is. And he plays this off so casually, his character, that it's actually pretty scary. And there's this the last act of this movie goes full horror. So if somebody's like in this going, oh, this is much more, it's a Haneke vibe, I would say for most of it, but it goes, I'm not even going to say the director who, who direction, because it would even kind of give something away, but it goes grotesquery by the very end. And it is, 
it is a very unique film. It, like I said, somebody will listen to me and go, I hate this. Screw you for giving it. I don't care because this is a really unique, brilliant movie. Um, and would love to talk to the director actually about it. Um, and what is this? It's called, called Resurrection? just Resurrection. It is $6 right now on um, Amazon or wherever else. But her performance is, I mean, if everyone and everyone loves her in Nighthouse because she's brilliant, this might be even better than her performance. I mean, they're both equal there because they're different things. That's a sadder performance. This is about control and somebody trying to hold a life together and then how quickly it comes apart when somebody who represents your, your wound, your Achilles heel suddenly shows up and Tim Roth's great. Tim Roth's such a good actor anyway, but in this it's, it's unnerving, but no, it's funny. Cause when Dick wrote to me after he watched it before I did, and he's like, this might be the most Elric Kane movie I've seen this year. You're going to love it. And of course I was watching it going, Oh my God, there's, there's two or three beats where I was like, wow, that's even just like what I was just working on. But obviously they have a much bigger budget, but uh, it's really good. So definitely my bag. So if you're into my bag, check out this movie if you're not into my bag and you're always like i always disagree with our picks, then i'm pretty sure you might want to stick with suckling tonight <laughs> let's talk about madness let's talk about cosmic horror and let's talk about all things that are glorious tonight's episode of colors of the dark is brought to you by athletic greens and their nutrition drink ag1 a product that elric and i have been taking every day after months of being in quarantine elric and i both wanted to improve our health in the new year so we decided to try athletic greens it's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy plus it's from new zealand which elric loves so what is AG1? Uh, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash c-o-t-d again that is athleticgreens.com backslash c-o-t-d to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance welcome back to the show uh i am very excited for the guest this week uh two guests uh, one guest who's been on the show before, I guess you could say that. Uh, she is uh, the uh, co-host of this podcast, 
<laughs> Dr. Rebecca McKendry, uh, and joining her as producer and actor, of course, Morgan Peter Brown, who are both responsible for the uh, cosmic mayhem that will be hitting <laughs> Shutter this week. Uh, that is glorious. Ooh. Yeah, that should Indeed. be. It will be on uh, Shutter by the time our show airs. This yes, week. on Friday. Um, Amazing. Yeah, yes, super exciting and trippy to think about. So we won't. And we're, Thursday, August eighteenth. And we're not going to yeah. go too deep, but it's it's definitely worth mentioning because it, it will not just tie into our topic, but also we did do a Q and A on stage all together uh, last week, and I think it does it does bring up a lot of interesting things about uh, this subgenre. And this is your film is one of the rare entries that's also comic comedic uh, uh, version sure. of the subgenre, which some of these might not be. Um, but yeah, so let's let's hear a little bit how you guys both got involved in the project, just to give people just a little bit in case they uh, are curious. I know Becca's probably talked about doing this a lot, but not the how. Yeah, so um, that's the that's the one thing that people don't ask about is the how. I yeah. get a lot of like, what movies inspired yeah. you? Um, but the actual nuts and bolts of filmmaking, I haven't gotten to talk about as much. So I'm excited to dive into that a bit. Um, but yeah, so this script, the original version of the script written by um, Joshua Hull, just dynamite writer, was sent to me um, like right at the top of the pandemic. And it was like the ugly part of the pandemic, like the whimsy of making banana bread had worn off and we were all just like fucking miserable. Um, And so it, it came in then and I read it and was immediately kind of like, there's something really charming here. And it was at its core, the original script. um, It was still the core of what we have now, which is a guy in a bathroom talking to what he thinks is a god. And a lot of kind of the setup and the tone of it, even kind of the where kind of the grossness of it goes, um, was a lot different. But I was com- immediately captivated by the idea of a guy in a bathroom with who he thinks is a god. I was like, it's kind of Tuesdays with Maury. Um, like it was like talky, but um, not. It's exactly like Tuesdays with Maury. Well, so well Tuesdays with Maury. I use that as a comp <laughs> in my pitch tech. Um, <laughs> So, I'm on a hard was... podcast. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I, it's, a, it's fine. I it's fine. It. Don't Google it. <laughs> so, no, I was like, there's, and I, I think we early on kind of started saying it's like waiting for Godot, but with Lovecraft. And Even that terrible... I'll take slight issue with. <laughs> I know. I know. These are terrible comps, but really good comps at the same time. And so we optioned the script um, and immediately started working just, you know, it was the pandemic. We had time. Um, on kind of, you know, turning it into a philosophical piece and also really teasing out the monster itself. Like if I'm telling people that there's a Lovecraftian monster in a bathroom for the movie, I want there to actually be a full Lovecraftian monster in the bathroom. Not only that, I wanted to go through metamorphosis because I love monsters that change. And I figure we're stuck in this bathroom. We need to give people something to look at. So let's take this monster through like a full metamorphosis as it becomes corporeal. And um, so once we had kind of a decent draft of the script that I was really enjoying, we started shopping it around. And the response that we got was amazing Um, from people that we could tell didn't read the script. They would just immediately respond with, yeah, this sounds really trauma, um, was what we kept hearing. And I was like, did you read it? Because it's not exactly, not that that's a bad thing. I mean, I just profess love for the suckling in the prior episode, in the prior segment. Um, But um, we kept getting that. And we, then we'd know immediately people hadn't read it. 
And so um, we we started getting interest from a lot of companies, but um, one of the companies that we got interest from was AMP. I'd, of course, worked with Morgan, Peter Brown, and Joe Wicker before. I'd had meetings at AMP and had always really um, found Bob Portal to just be an incredibly charming individual. And so, yeah, that was immediately where we took it. And Morgan, Joe, and Bob kind of got our lunacy and went with it. Yeah, it was... Um what Becca says is correct. As far as the timing of it is concerned, it was, I think I got the script the first time in January or February of 2021. And it was, uh, it was a time when we were wanting to do something and COVID protocols were in place so we could do something, but COVID protocols aren't very indie movie friendly. So you had to sort of like take it into account um, the size, overall size of your production. So it was affecting the types of stories that we were looking at. Mm-hmm. So in a way, Glorious probably wouldn't have been made without the pandemic because it is such a a weird pitch uh, that I love, but also it, it was the fact that it was so doable mm-hmm. on its face. It's like, I know we can do this, guys. Um yeah that it, it really kind of assuaged people's fears in that regard. But yeah, same. No, I, I love um, two-hander movies like like Sleuth with uh, Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine, the original Death Trap with Michael Caine and, oh, yeah. and the Christopher Reeve. Like I And I, I come from a theater background, as obviously does Becca. It's been one of the things we've bonded about for years. Um, so the idea of two characters, really one guy talking to a wall that just happens to be talking back uh, for a large portion of your script didn't scare us Mm -mm. um, as much as maybe it did others. Now, having said that, I definitely did read it, um, but it was still, even even so, I could see it was like, if we are going to set a whole movie in a bathroom, like, and, and Becca and I connected on immediately, like, I think in the earliest descriptions of it, the bathroom was absolutely disgusting. And yeah. it was like, I was like, boy, this is super interesting. I do not want to spend 90 minutes in that bathroom, though. What can, and not, no, if you haven't seen the movie, it's not immaculate. It's not, but it, we definitely like adjusted the levels here and there of like, it can be gross here, but boy, you know, it's, it's like, what's, how much can we take? <laughs> we yeah, as the we audience knew, and we as the people making it. We knew straight up that like, we had to still make it watchable. And, yes. um, and it's weird where I drew those lines and I can't even explain some of them. Um, but like, why <laughs> some of them are, per- I, are personal to you for yeah, sure. Some of them are totally personal to me. Like, no, I will not do that. Um, right. and it was these weird lines that I was drawing, but like, I kept saying, I don't want the bathroom from train spotting. I right. still wanted it gross like you don't want to eat off this floor but it's not gross to look at it feels somewhat natural in that capacity it's not a destroyed bathroom um and we certainly suggest all of the things that are on the floor of that bathroom gat mentions it several times and west gets grossed out at certain points but he's not wallowing around in pools of filth at any point yeah um yeah vision uh, been but- a bridge too far i think yeah. For sure, for but sure. But no, but it still feels authentic it, to that kind of tr- road stop yeah. uh, mm-hmm. bathroom. Yeah, yeah. You, it's a it's a fine line to walk. I mean, and that's honestly that can that can apply to so many things about this process. And we're sort of lucky that um, the potential pitfalls of this project were all obvious. 
Yeah, it was we like, knew our shortcomings, like from right. the script level. We knew, okay, well, we're going to have to keep the camera moving. We're going to have to make the bathroom bigger. Be we the most have cinematic, like yeah. cinematic, beautifully shot bathroom ever because we're never leaving it. So we better make it visually interesting. The pacing has better be dynamite because it's just a guy and a wall for most yep. of it. And, and it if can't you're just only. Be, yeah. And we we were we were grinding that script right up until uh until production pretty much uh because it was it, it you know just finding like I think you know two drafts before our shooting draft there was still like 30 pages of dialogue in one in long stretches and we're like we got to break this up you know it's like yep. it was it was about efficiency it was about efficiency of of tone of 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 catching the notes of things, how much is too much, and then we have to move on and pacing. Um, and the movie's seventy nine minutes. I mean, I I don't it could could there have been some room left in here and there, probably. Uh, but also, I I think we we worked that thing hard. I have I have seen in our reviews so many compliments about how brisk we make it. Um, sure. because like there were versions of this movie that we had at like ninety two pages, and in every single and earlier one, cuts that were about yeah. four or five minutes longer, probably. Yeah. yeah, and we kept saying it's not necessary. Like for right. me, where I obsessed um the most kind of going in was the monster stuff because I was mm. like. If we're giving people six shots of this monster, they better be good. Like that yeah. was where I was really kind of fixating was the the gore effects because I that's kind of part of some of my favorite parts of the movie. And it was about distillation of you know impressions of of characters and people often too, whereas just sort of like again being efficient with things. And our favorite movies often don't need to berate you over the head with this guy is really a mess and it's like okay but like how fast can we learn that and mm-hmm. move on um and and it's not it's not cheating it it still feels satisfying and um and it it, it i mean it definitely puts the onus on casting a lot. I, we, we became, we were extremely lucky uh, in getting JK Simmons and Ryan Quantum. They are incredible. And we were incredibly lucky to get the rest of the cast. Uh, Andre, Sylvia, um, Torty, they're all fantastic. Um, well, what was the advantage? Talk about Ryan a little bit. Cause Ryan's on screen the entire film and he has a, you know, he's, he's beloved in horror circles from Joe Lynch's stuff. Dead silence is kind of having yes. a bit of a resurgence these years. True yeah. blood was huge. Blood. So, so he obviously, he would have been somebody I would have like if you just told me you're casting him I'd liked him in a film called Red Hill I, was it Red Hill yeah uh, mm-hmm. the Australian one it's a it's yeah. like a crime noir yeah, yeah. film it was good um, right. but I, no. did you know I wouldn't so have known with- he could do be on screen by himself the whole time that's something I wouldn't have known until seeing the film no and that that was definitely us taking a little bit of a chance and saying, I think he could do this. And it was definitely, you know, me calling Joe Lynch and being like, he had excellent recommendations. Know, yeah. yeah from can, friends like Joe can and, we do and Barbara. This? And Barbara. Yeah. And at the time when we cast him, when we put him kind of at the top of our list, I had seen him in creep show. He was also in the Amazon show. Um, they, and yeah. uh, playing the milkman. 
And so, and they're two drastically different characters in the creep show one. He was more comedic and on the Amazon show, he was super, super sinister, not evil, but you could like, he was hiding something. And, um, so, you know, I had seen him play both these roles and I, I had loved him in some of Joe Lynch's prior stuff and had seen him play both kind of evil and that comedic side. And so when he went on the list, we immediately called Joe and Barbara and we were like, Ryan Quanton, do you think he'd be interested? Can he do one man? And Joe was immediately like, he can do anything. Like he is amazing. And so um, correct on Joe Lynch's part. Like I now view him as one of the most underrated, amazing actors. Like Ryan deserves an Oscar at this point. Yeah, Um, Honestly, he's been, the reviews have have rightfully mentioned. uh, And and yeah, it it was um, of how terrific he is and, and how much he grabs uh, the, the camera and, and makes it his own because he is almost literally in every shot. Um, But it, well, and, and to be honest, you know, speaking from an actor's point of view, I also knew we could be a little picky because it's a really good part. Like yeah. the the guys on screen the entire time. It is an opportunity for any actor to really show what they can do. But mm-hmm. but also it was on us to cast it in such a way that you needed to not be too put off by him immediately. He needed to let you in, even though he's a mess at the beginning of the movie. If that guy is too gross or mm-hmm. too creepy from minute one, I, I don't know if you can watch the rest of this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so r- having Ryan in that regard, uh, who's a very handsome gentleman, <laughs> but also has a lot of charisma and and a lot of sense of humor as well, and was able to tap into that by... I mean, I, I was very familiar with with his work going in, but by day three, I was in love with him. I was like, yeah. thank God. Thank and God, I, Ryan, you are amazing. <laughs> and Ryan rolled. I tend to do long takes. Like I tend to, and it's the theatrical style. I tend to be like, I'd much Especially rather. Especially with this. Yeah. yeah. Like I would do five page scenes um, and just let it run. And then the camera would just dance with him and we'd be on um, steady the entire time. And we would carefully kind of block out where Ryan's going to be, where the camera's going to be in relation to him, run it like choreography. And then I would get these massive like five page scenes, um, which I've discovered is kind of my style as I've been emerging or um, kind of forming my style as a director. I definitely have continued doing those longer takes, which I really enjoyed. I find that actors can kind of submerge themselves in it uh, a lot when you do that. Um, but Ryan was all for them to the point where sometimes I would do five page scenes and he would just keep going. And I'd be like, okay, man, let's do this. And even, um, I, there was, he did not like to leave set. Like he liked to be there. Even if we were like, okay, it's going to be 20 minutes while we move the lights. He would be, can I just hang? And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, that is. And it was just like, he just wanted to be there and be part of it. And he, he kept saying, I feel best in this space. Mm. So Um, much of, so much of this shoot was, because uh, it was a 15-day shoot, and 12 out of those 15 days were us on the bathroom stage. Mm-hmm. And my memory of this shoot will always be Ryan, me, Becca, Dave, and a couple of our camera crew, like Will and Katrina and, and Katie and, and a couple others, literally just on the bathroom set. I mean, because yep. I was... I was so so JK was able to rehearse with us and then we and then we did a bunch of stuff after the after the we shot for the shoot 
I was reading the lines of Gat. So Ryan is is kind of acting opposite me. So I am basically in every shot. I am off camera on the floor with the script in my lap. <laughs> Sometimes shoved into the bathroom stall because it's Often, the only place we could yes. put you. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, so it, it really is. So we became very close. <laughs> the group of us became very close on this lovely set. And it is oh, really yeah. nice to shoot on a on just a stage because mm. you, you don't have to like wrap out at the end of every night. It was fantastic. We literally uh, would walk in, flip the lights on. And at the end of the night, we would flip so the lights off. It was oh, so, so nice. Loved it. Well, and it's really fun seeing this with a crowd. I hope people have some parties for this, some shutter parties, get some friends over because it just plays yeah. so well. I've already been told about a okay, couple. Okay, <laughs> good. So some sh- illegal shutter parties. Yeah. Uh, but yes. it, it is. It's one of those movies. We, I mean, were you guys? Did you guys enjoy seeing it with that crowd? Obviously, every crowd's a little different, but. For sure. Uh, the, oh my seeing gosh, yeah. the premiere in Montreal was incredible. Fantasia's crowds, which I've been, uh, I, I first went to Fantasia with Absentia in 2011. Uh, and it was, I had, that was the first I'd heard of it. And it, and Mitch Davis and his team are, are so wonderful and their crowds are rowdy, but respectful and just mm-hmm. an overall like love. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the best it's, it's, and so much fun. And, and seeing this, that was the best first experience. But I, I do love watching it with an audience. And I, and I and love with with humor because we talked about this a little bit in the Q&A, but the tone of the movie is so fluid. It's that all it's, over the place. And it it's just fascinating flows. hearing the audience go through it. Uh, when oh, you and give each other permission. I think that's a big thing with things that are totally yes. mixed. It's like that first joke might not get everyone because they don't know what the movie is. But by the time it starts building, then people start cackling. Right. And, 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 you know, the movie yeah. starts telling you, no, no, yeah. no, it's okay yeah. to laugh. It, which is a lot like um, another film that moves at a, at a clip in the same kind of uh, way is, is definitely reanimator Stuart Gordon's ability to pace that movie. It, it moves like lightning. Mm-hmm. And at the start, you don't know if it's funny. And then very quickly you realize you're laughing at the most inappropriate things. It's kind of great. We right. tried um, as we'd been watching kind of cuts of the film. We, that was our big question was like, we think it's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a part of the score when I was working with the composer, Jake Hull was, I was like, the score needs to give people permission to laugh. And yes. we had, temp scored with Birdman. And um, I, I, we kind of ended up using that as like a comp because it gives people permission to laugh at a movie that is, it's kind of a weird one to laugh at for chunks. Birdman. And then, and then the, the, during the darker moments, the, the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross stuff from Watchmen, which was, uh, which I love so much. Yeah. We had Uh, some lobster in the temp. I remember. Yeah. It was, we used some wild stuff, but yeah. And that became kind of like, here is where we need to give the audience permission to laugh and let them know. Um, and, and how do we do that? The wildest screening for me was screening it in my hometown, um, to maybe a hundred people. Um, it was a very small screening. It was still at the Alamo draft house, but it was a very small screening, but screening it next to my mother, um, who is honestly, I mean, she's my biggest fan. She's my biggest supporter and always will be. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an amazing moment because she just giggled through the whole thing and it was just a magical moment for me. I I said this the other day, but it, it really is funny. The experience of making a movie this kind of where the pitch is this kind of out there. Okay. Um, 
it had become normalized to our brains because we'd been working on it for 18 months. So it was like, yeah, you know, this is the movie we're making. And then I've, I've gotten several texts, which was like, you made what? <laughs> it was like, it's like, yeah, yeah. We made a Lovecraftian glory hole movie. Yes, we did. And it was like, oh yeah, it is pretty weird, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And I've seen multiple reviews call us the strangest movie you'll see this year, which, Hey, great. Which, awesome. I honestly, <laughs> I love that. I absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Love it. No, I will. I will. Definitely. In a year where everything, everywhere, all at once came out, I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's be weird. I'll take. I'll take that. So sure. No, and it did. It led to very bizarre conversations on set that I don't think I will ever have in another movie. Like the one that I've mentioned um, in a couple interviews was the day that I I was doing costuming, and all of a sudden I got called to set, mm-hmm. and um, our set deck guy Alfred was standing there with Alfred. a massive door drill like what you would drill a doorknob with and he's looking and he's trying to drill the glory hole and he goes how wide is this thing supposed to be and oh, we yeah. all just look at each other like how tall uh, how tall our, how inter- tall our internet search histories were never the same oh, man i i would have i would have been so ready for that from the happy the famous <laughs> happiness quote i would have been it's not about length it's about width that's <laughs> I would have been ready. No, and that, well, and we okay. Like, well, that's, it that's, has to be shootable because we've wanted to put um, like a rotoscopic camera right. through it as well. So like, sure. you know, how oh, do we you're going to be detail well? specific, Becca, that's fine. I'm just. <laughs> every, every crew member, every, every person who all the way through post, whenever you would meet a new person, like their first day on the movie, you're like, Hey, and this is our sound designer. You're like, Hey, it's so nice to meet you. So happy. You know? And then within the first 10, 15 minutes, you're talking to them. They will have the moment of like, so when you're, um, and you're like, you can just say it. Like, we we've become so comfortable with each suction. other. Yeah. Can we get squelching and suction simultaneous? Because I feel like that we need that here. It's um, just a movie yeah. that will make you to ha- make you have every uncomfortable conversation you've never wanted to have. <laughs> hey, I, I think Frank you just will got enjoy used it, to it. And that's the main thing. You know, yeah, for <laughs> sure. At its core, cosmic, and that was kind yeah. of the biggest thing, um, which oh, is segueing into our task for tonight. Wait, wait, you're not even allowed to do that. You're just a guest. I was meant. To yeah, wait a minute. Okay. No, no, I'm here. I had to host the yeah, first segment. No, and I will say on the cosmic stuff, like that was kind of the biggest overarching thing was we knew we wanted the philosophy, we knew we wanted glory yeah. hole, we wanted the monster, we wanted the grossness. But at the same time, and we've had one one review pick this up so far, Lovecraft is silly as fuck. Like that is, and every single time I've looked at Lovecraft, um, you know, like, oh, we could do this version of this movie or this movie. There is something that is always so silly about mm. some of his concepts. And I love them, but at the same time, like, and I do think that like Color Out of Space got that to a degree. Reanimator got it to a degree. Like the, the From Beyond definitely nailed it. The idea that these are just fucking absurdist out there, just weird ass ideas, but the cosmic side of it, this thing that um, it's otherworldly, but not even just otherworldly because there's always a psychological component to it. Like that was my biggest thing as I started really examining what what cosmic is, is it's not just like aliens attacking. There is some type of psychological component that has to go along with it. Right. No, it was, we got to pull from so many different, 
it's a real salad bar of of philosophies and religions and mythologies uh, all throughout glorious um i mean we actually got it i even there was even a moment becca where i was particularly proud of myself because i actually got to pull from my own D dungeons and dragons lore because we were talking about like wait if he's on the ethereal plane what does that mean and i'm like well i have the knowledge of planes because i've played DD for 20 years <laughs> and it's like the ethereal plane is actually just above the material plane which is where we are so it means we wouldn't be able to see it you know yeah. it's just but sort of slowly like, emerging into ours and what's that gonna that's be that's like? correct it's basically you can't see it you can't touch it they can see us but it's all kind of ghostly uh yeah it's there, there's so many fun little little uh cues and, and clues uh, that some people have picked up on and some people may never it's there's a lot of a lot of deep little deep little cuts as as i know you both are so uh fond of uh but also some hopefully some universality and some some uh some really relatable stuff that hopefully mm-hmm. just cuts through. Yeah, I mean, so co- I mean, cosmic dread is another way to term that they use for this. And and I know we the, the easiest go to when we talk about cosmic car. I think all of us are like it's the unknowable, the unimaginable, and that's where a lot of these uh, what we think of as Lovecraftian vibes in horror films. Some films have vibes of it without being fully Lovecraftian. Some aren't adaptations yeah. uh, often the actual straight adaptations are the weakest uh things and movies that are just have the vibe of lovecraft succeed a lot better um yeah. I, I, yeah like lovecraft is hard lovecraft is yes. really hard to directly translate and i have to agree the ones that i see that try to stay very true to lovecraft it's it's always kind of a uh, i don't know like the it's using his ideas and then creating something else about it. And I think that's what Stuart Gordon got a lot because even though that I think Stuart Gordon gets the closest, like even his Dagon, which feels very much like shadow over Ensmith, it's still mixing a bunch of stuff, moving it to contemporary times, trying something different with it, adding in a lot more. Um, It's, it's a difficult thing to do. You really have to kind of explore outside of some of the ideas. Well, yeah, I think you hit on it beautifully, Becca, which is that it, it there does need to be sort of an otherworldly quality that then also needs to layer into mental, psychological, um, because in in research to speak of, of Cosmic Horror generally, yeah, looking at, you know, what others had said, and I found myself disagreeing with half of the lists on the internet, um, which is because in trying to cut that, and now again, all of this is open for discussion, uh, if, if, if alien, if the original alien is all cosmic horror to you, God bless, go forth. I, I think it's more sci-fi survival horror, which mm-hmm. it doesn't quite jump over that, that, that layer into cosmic horror. You know me. what? But if you disagree, well, it's interesting. And, and, and this is a note for about a couple movies I'll mention as well. I believe that there are certain movies that if they hadn't had sequels, they would be firmly the ultimate examples of cosmic horror. Alien is one that I think because because when we talk about space jockey and all this stuff, years later sure. we're doing it based on the internet and, and sequels and lore that we've learned. But if you just watch some of these movies the first time, um, uh, I went Hell, Hell, yeah. Hellraiser is another that isn't on my list, but I think it might be the most Lovecraftian film ever made. But because of but I because agree. of sequels, it, it definitely lessens that feeling when he's doing an internet right. uh, Hellraiser Deader World, internet Lance Henriksen internet cafe. Deader is not okay. The well, you know what I mean. One. It's uh, it's not like I have a horror podcast, so who cares? Uh, Graham Skipper is going <laughs> nuts right now. <laughs> but, but I really do, and I, I I often would say some of these movies are scarier without sequels, but that's not what this is. It's more like like the less explained, it, they, they are just stick clearly. The, the biggest thing I, I wrote down, and I did like you, I think I disagreed with a lot of things. I agree. I think 
often they're not science fiction. Often they're not about aliens, very rarely. What I think they are is films, they, we talk about the noble, what I really think they are, and I think maybe why they're so interesting to us is they are tend to be stories um, that are don't fit in, or, or lores that don't fit in with the Christian belief system, which is what all of right. our horror has ever been based on, for the most part in Western world, right. is Christ, Christian ideas, and, Christ, and so our myth and our stories can't account or comprehend this thing, and that, that, therefore it's other, I, you know? I will mention yeah. that 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 cross though brings up uh, a movie I was just talking about with a friend, which is Prince of Darkness, which is the first one I, I would not, put on my list. But I'll t- it's a, it's a good it's one. Not, it does. If we're just making a top five, it would not make my yeah. list. Uh, but I, I I do love it. But it it almost Trojan horses itself as a Christian because it takes place mm-hmm. in a church. There's some very churchy vibes about it. But really, when you get down to it, you're like, no, this is cosmic horror. This is for sure otherworldly, unid- unidentified. Like I'm not. Oh quite sure what completely even and, and and i put i put this as the like the first thing I, the first thing i was going to ask you guys like what is the very first thing if i say cosmic car that like comes to mind that's not just lovecraft the very first thing i think of is the message in prince of darkness they're sending this message back through time and you see this shadowy figure and you're like there's just a feeling in it it's like it feels other yeah. and it's something different and that's why i do think that film is a great but i think some of our movies do have Christian characters or priests because that's our way of going, well, that's who would protect us. Right. And then it often fails if it's this other kind of heart, but, but you know, a lot of them, a lot of the good ones don't fit in with the rules very well anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say kind of where I definitely saw trends within kind of the cosmic horrors that I was looking at was that there is a perceived good and evil, but it ultimately is not necessarily good and evil. It just is like if you think about color out of yeah. space that's kind of you know the one of the big examples as of recent it's not that whatever is invading the farm the llama the alpaca farm the it's alpacas. not that it is good or evil how can it you forget the milking is. the alpaca yeah. scene. Oh, the alpa- <laughs> the alpaca scene um it's not that it's good or evil it just is and it's changing things and therefore we perceive that as bad um and so yeah that was kind of like even um and i'm sorry there's you know what i'll hold off on any more titles for fear they might well be yeah and we will jump around but i think part of it is like we ha- we live in even our ca- most chaotic lives are ordered right we live in an ordered life and i think these movies or these these horror and i'm not talking about reanimator because obviously that's not what we're talking about reanimator to me isn't cosmic horror it might be lovecraftian but yeah. there is a distinction i totally right? agree whereas from yes. beyond is definitely yes. cosmic horror it's 100 this other world this other plane coming in. i think it's about something that we can't order we can't control coming into our order and us having no clue how to do mm-hmm. it i might at times would you say all cosmic horror is Lovecraftian, but not all Lovecraftian horror is cosmic? probably just because he's our origin point in that thinking? But 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 yeah. I, I've seen, I've got I even saw a couple Lovecraftian films that I hadn't seen that were on some of these lists, some of these more obscure ones, and they weren't at all cosmic horror. They just happened to be yeah. based on Lovecraft, and they're about something hidden in a room that they a weird creature that came out. You know, it's and reanimator got throw gets thrown on cosmic horror lists and i rewatched it and i was like this isn't cosmic horror it's, it's lovecraftian for yeah, sure it's bringing things back from the dead yeah. i don't yeah. view that no. as like super cosmic there's a couple no. lovecraftian ones that i like it does not totally. achieve full cosmic for me um and then there are other ones that i think are kind of his most comic cosmic like dreams of a witch house that's a hard lovecraft film to ever think about making because it's a witch who travels through dimensions through architecture 
I think I think kidding. that's it. Oh. Didn't they do a Masters of Horror? And it was actually pretty good. They, Stuart Gordon. Yeah, and it was actually pretty yeah, good, but hard to pull off yeah, all the ideas. It's Never real hard it. to pull off. And where the Masters of Horror one lost me is there's supposed to be a human-faced rat um, in it. There's like a rat with a human face, and it was very weird. Um, yeah. And not like good way weird. Like, okay, I'm out. Um, weird, whenever well, the rat came on. Well, um, I, the last thing I say on this is it's the other thing that helps define, just as we're defining it, is if it's, if at any, no matter how weird something gets but if it then comes back to oh this witch is part of the narrative well suddenly it's not cosmic horror for me like uh, there might be a couple examples like inferno weirdly enough feels kind of cosmic horror but suspiria doesn't because suspiria is like very much a witch movie but inferno is this weird you hardly see the witches you see all this like weird bubbling cauldrons and hands on books and And you get that there's other things going on there's like dimensional portals behind but i think yeah there's there's overlap there's often overlap between witches and 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 cosmic but not necessarily one is not necessarily the other becca i I think i i love how you said it actually it's it is is sort of a, a lack of good and evil is because it's sort of an ancient unknowable and as we we did in glorious and sometimes others do this as well which is like if you're dealing with gods or demigods or you know it's it's pre good and evil but these are also beings with emotions and feelings yeah. and motivations that are quite we perceive as human you know gat in our film is is arguably way more sympathetic than 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 Wes than Ryan's yeah. character is. Well, we don't um, always get a know, meaning so. and and yours has a meaning. Yours mm-hmm. actually we get we get to hear right. kind of the plan, which isn't always the case in some of these movies it's like you know very little about what this darkness right. is going to do. It's just this overwhelming thing creeping into our world. So, uh well let's jump in because okay, so we'll stay. I already started because we uh, informally kick off Prince of Darkness to me is one of the first ones I think of. Obviously Carpenter has one that's even more directly in line, but this is the one that I think of because they, I think they even call the liquid anti-god at some point like call it an anti-god mm-hmm. and and so when you yes. hear things like that and a and a being that is pure liquid and green it, it's got goofy stuff in this movie like some of the fight scenes and stuff are fun but a little goofy but other parts that are really some of the cast is probably a little yeah, too and, big. yeah and it's very big trouble little china vibe cast which I like <laughs> there is like the, I just rolled over from big yeah. trouble and put him in which this. I like but yeah which I I love but, but, but there's yeah. other parts that are real serious and some of these like mo- moments with yeah. the mirror and touching oblivion almost that are always come back from my brain so that's a very easy one to put in in the category so uh let's go for you guys let's start both with each of you the first one because that was the first thing that kind of pops in of your list what is one that like most kind of goes this is what i think of as cosmic car when you first were putting it down sure we'll start with morgan um for me oh go ahead morgan oh you sure okay well okay so we're so we're not doing like a traditional top five we're just using we could actually we could that was my five so that's fine do however you want oh oh, okay i mean okay i yeah i I can go either way um but okay so first that kind of jumps to mind um no, all right. If we're doing top, jeez, sorry. All right, if we're doing I didn't really, top, I, I didn't really <laughs> order mine, so I, I, I can. But you know. no, okay, great. No, I'd rather not. not honestly, me, I would rather just not. Highlight when it's okay. your favorite. You can just say it. Then I will say, and this would this would have been near first thought of. This would have been certainly near the top of the list. Is the combo of Hellraiser and Hellraiser okay, two? I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah. I love them both. Hellraiser two is almost more. I, 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 I it's actually more effective for me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And that's just kind of a personal thing, um, even though it gets big and huge and, and crazy. The first half of Hellraiser 2, I yeah. love. It's so great. Oh, my gosh, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the madness that you've touched something unknowable, otherworldly, um, 
why would you ever open the door to this place? But your your selfish human desires have have uncorked the worst thing in the universe. And Lovecraft uh, is always yeah. doing that, uh, has character protagonists that are doing that intellectually. And Barker made it right. something else. He found he tapped into their yes. sexual desires, their fantasies. And, and that yeah. really adds a whole nother layer. That's why I think it might be the best Lovecraftian vibe film ever made, the, you know, as a duo. Yeah. And I love that because if we're looking at the original two Hellraisers, even the book, they don't explain everything. It Mm -hmm. just is. Are these beings hell? Nope. Nope, not quite hell. They're interportal. Um, yeah. You know, they're not aliens. They're even though they were called sadomasochists from space, it's not supposed to be space. It's other portals, right. other realms. And so, just by the nature of having that, you're you're kind of opening it up to this otherworldly concept that we don't necessarily understand. Hell, we get. Space, we get. Interdimensional? Mm-mm. Nope. That's that's where it kind of gets into that other realm that we don't. Understand. And if you hadn't made a part, right. I think it's in part three where they explained who Pinhead was. Like, even though that's a totally watchable, fun movie, as soon as you do that, I feel like you do lose this quality we're talking about because mm-hmm. now it's a human who yeah. was transformed into something. You know, yeah. it's yeah, it's it is that thing of like you know, it's unknowable for a reason. Yeah. And the more sequels you make, you're like, but what if that unknowable was slightly more knowable? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to do four more features dimension needs a sequel every year let's go (laughs) they are terrific they're terrific Um, examples of it yeah so i'm gonna kick off with one of honestly my oddball ones but it's legit one of my faves but anytime somebody asks me like what i understand is cosmic car this is the first one i pull out which is uzumaki Um, which is Spiral, the movie from 2000 and the, um, or is it 2006? I can't even read my own writing. Um, anyway, it's, it's from like early 2000 aughts. And, um, this one I fell in love with. I saw the movie before I went back and read Junji Ito's manga. Um, and just completely fell in love with just how weird it is. And it is literally just about a town in Japan where people start becoming obsessed with spirals to the point of like committing suicide by shoving themselves in washing machines so they will achieve a perfect spiral. Um, (laughs) Some people start turning into snails. Um, Spirals start appearing in the sky. Um, Their eyes start becoming spirals. And I mean, it's killing people, but it's just this madness that takes over the town for no reason. Like it never really gets into exactly what's going on, except it's coming from the sky and it just all starts with one girl kind of getting up and exploring spirals. And it is very much the spiral in itself is kind of like this sink into madness. Um, but it, it's like infiltrating everything. Will there look at people's faces and their entire face will just be a void, a vortex swirling down into a spiral. And it is the movie is effective. The manga is even more so. Um, but that for me is cosmic horror. The we don't know what it is. Is it good? Is it bad? Well, it's killing people. But but, you know, other people seem to be enjoying it. In a way, um, you make, you make so me think Pulse is, almost is. And I wasn't thinking about Pulse, but Pulse, Pulse is actually. It's straight yeah. up. It's straight up a cosmic yeah. horror. I love yeah. Pulse, yeah, so Pulse so much. And I definitely yeah. consider that to be one. I forget um, where I read it. But yeah, someone someone in Pulse was like, it's it's a ghost movie. But it's like, but the ghosts also. But it's also something the ghosts are afraid yeah. of. You know, yes. like it's. Well, the people yeah, are sadder so than the ghosts. Definitely something. Moment. You know, they, yeah, they right. want to join the ghosts because it feels lonely to be alive. It's kind of depressing. It's. Uh, I still have never right. seen Uzumaki. I've, I've almost watched it many, many times. I, I got to actually watch that. 
Um, it's wild. Um, and yeah, I definitely recommend it. It is a great kind of horror interpretation of what is cosmic horror. I'm, uh, I, oh, I'm go just going to, I was going to knock out my mainstream ones. So I, we do, we do did it. Prince of Darkness. Uh, and this one, I just, anytime I can mention this film. So I think the most unknowable thing that we're all faced with is the very simple uh, death. Uh, and I think this film uses it really well in a really creative indie way. And that's Phantasm. I think Phantasm is actually really terrific. I don't know if that's the intentional oh, yeah. of or the influence of necessarily, it's not necessarily Lovecraftian. That's the interesting thing. I wouldn't, if somebody said, I wouldn't say, no, it doesn't feel Lovecraft, but it does. It is completely cosmic horror. It is a, a it young is. boy trying to figure out uh, how to deal with the, the loss of his parents and with his, and a fear that his older brother will also die and leave him alone. And then he stumbles into this thing, this, strange tall men uh taking up shop in morgues but then shrinking humans and like creating slaves for this other distant world and the scene in it that got me when i was younger and watched it for the first time is just when the ice cream guy <laughs> reggie goes into the other world it's like just this white void and there's these like perfect spheres and you're like this is some fucking yeah. out there shit man like it is a weird movie and and but again another example that taking away the sequels it holds the the original is just so cool because it's this indie weirdo movie. But once you once you broaden the world, it it becomes a little bit more actiony to me. Like you know, um, but I think that first film really does a lot and has the woman who keeps changing. Like he's having the, the brothers having sex with the woman, and suddenly her face is beautiful, and then suddenly she's this creature that that actually is the oh, one Lovecraftian kind of movie. Yeah, so it is one that just I really wanted to make sure I fit it into this because I don't know if it's always thought of that way, but I think it deserves to be thought of as cosmic horror. I also what? consider Phantasm to be absurdist. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, sure, like yeah. I even I created an absurdist list for uh, Letterboxd yeah. um, last week, and I put that on there just because I it for me, if things are happening and you can't necessarily connect them together, and it is breaking what would be the logical order of events, then that becomes absurdity. And I think that this is it. Like I can't explain why things are happening; they're just yeah. happening. There are two that that feel very tied to me, and I didn't realize how tied they were until I rewatched them recently. But they both are cosmic horrors, and they are Event Horizon <laughs> and Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Yes, yes. Both uh, I would have put on a list. So Event Horizon actually, is my number four as well. Event, Event Horizon... Um, <laughs> it's it's the most 90s movie ever made at times so like they, if you just get through the opening se- opening cre- credit sequence it's the most 90s opening credit sequence ever um i they're both excellent movies and event horizon has I'll, I'll put it up there with like 1408 in terms of like the first 10 minutes are they hook yeah. you man the mm-hmm. first 10 minutes of event horizon's got a killer hook <laughs> uh sam neil explaining uh black hole drive basically you know portal drive to the crew as they're just arrived on the outskirts of neptune is pretty great but and for the um for the mental for for the kind of madness aspect of it i would actually say that danny boyle's sunshine is more effective because it's less it's it's less obvious it's less you know they've been going to another dimension sunshine is more like you're traveling towards the sun Mm -hmm. for a very long time and it's gonna (laughs) drive you nuts and I, I think it actually, fi- I, I find it a lot more effective. And I think the characters, uh, the cast of both movies are great. Cast of Danny Boyle's Sunshine is nuts. Yeah, Cliff, so Cliff Curtis uh, and all those guys looking at the sun. They, there's a part, I felt like, I need to see it again because the last act of it, 
always felt a little bit more tacked on with Sunshine, but the rest of it was so mm-hmm. good that I need to watch it again because it does make a leap yeah. to a character who's gone mad. And and I, but when yeah. I saw it in theaters, it blew me away stylistically. Like that film. Yeah, I haven't stunning. seen it since I first saw it in theaters. So yeah, I I'll need to rewatch it. But Event Horizon was my number four as well. But um, they also Event Horizon and Sunshine. They I, they're so tied for for the obvious sci fi reasons. But there's also something so and I th- maybe this is based on maybe they're both based on the same like Lovecraft and they didn't actually quote it. But they both have a very similar thing where they're both on on a on a trip to a far out like part of our solar system and they're searching for another thing and then they board the other thing and then they have to leave their original ship it happens yep. in both movies mm-hmm. and so it, they feel very of the same it wonders if they're the co- both coming from the same source yeah. material yeah i even um and i'll talk about it in the first segment which we will be recording next but um i read a book this week called the deep below that is an underwater horror story that still follows that same concept of going deep underwater boarding a boat the madness of the boat infecting you like it's i feel like that there, there has to be some core for well, that an alien like kind of takes it too right it's yeah. not their mission they're going off on a detour and once they go on that detour yeah. you can't put it back in the box it's it is a it's a great setup you know the thing you're going for is yeah. somehow interrupted it's not much different than the classic i was driving a dark and stormy night and i broke down and had to go had and to go through you know so it's yeah. maybe a lot of our horror stories and- are so good even getting back to like really pure Joseph Conrad, like hero's journey, right. it's the belly of the beast yeah. or it's entering yeah. the forbidden realm or, you know, the crossover mm-hmm. the threshold. It's always right. Well, there. a lot of those, those other Lovecraftian stories, those big, like at the mountains of madness and, you know, a bunch of other, like, like they are that sort of traveling to a strange land, you know, and mm-hmm. it is sort of like a crew of, of roughnecks or something like that, uh, that can feel that way. Uh, yeah. Joseph Campbell edit, not That's Joseph Conrad. Conrad though is also going into the heart of dark. Heart Heart of darkness. So it, it, yeah, it, that it is that is. They're sense. both good examples. Joseph Campbell, thank both, you. Yes, <laughs> both very good yeah. examples. In case somebody's looking oh. it up, uh, my brain stopped for a and second. Heart of darkness <laughs> is the perfect hero's journey. It, it is. So thank you for you correcting. could yeah. you could absolutely argue that Apocalypse Now is a cosmic horror yeah. movie. Actually, uh, now that and I'm right, you really could. Yeah. I think you could. Or Lovecraftian. You really could. because he seems about it's about madness. It's actually that'd be saying, and it's about even the formation of a cult and otherworldly god that is infusing Martin Sheen's character for the entire journey down the river to the point where even before he meets Kurtz, he's yeah. being infected by him. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Kurtz is infected. It's like they're symbiotic like, no, before they meet. Totally yeah. argue that. No, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I was just going to say, since my number four was also Event Horizon, that for me, Event Horizon is that same kind of, it's the madness infection. Yeah. That no one really, you know, that they have boarded this ship that has crossed over a black hole. What is this thing that is infecting them? We don't know. Is it good or bad? Well, it's bad. It made people like eat their own hands. But at the same time, it is here and it's taking over and it is. And it's just spreading throughout the whole ship. And it is that kind of spreading madness that I always come back to as like, this is cosmic. Like Event Horizon is not necessarily cosmic because it's in space. It's cosmic because at its core, it is an unknown that is spreading madness amongst this small group of people. Yeah, and I'll use that segue because I'm not gonna. I'm not so obvious as to put possession on my list, but it. I actually think it's. I was waiting I, because for because you it said Sam right. Neil. I, I think it's actually next to Hellraiser the best <laughs> cosmic car because it really is tapping into the unknowable and it's using doubles and it's using, uh, you know, a, a monstrous other coming in. So it really is tapping into a lot of those ideas. I don't know if that director was at all influenced by uh, Lovecraft, but it feels like it. Um, 
Um, I would have put it on the list, but secretly I've just done it without putting it on the list. All the tentacle action. I I was wondering how much Sam Neill we could get into this because literally, I mean, because we haven't talked about uh, in the mouth of madness yet, Uh, which is Uh, which is is the ultimate ultimate trilogy. We'll we'll, we'll let her get there. Um, I've I've lost track. Whose turn was my 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 turn? It's oh. yours. Number okay, so three. this one's actually my. We've broken through these lists. We've broken out of these <laughs> yeah, lists. Yeah, this is so this is actually my favorite <laughs> of all horror discoveries the last two years, and it's one I showed to then showed to Becca, and it's just if this gets a real release, I think people will be talking about this as like a, a benchmark for this kind of horror, and that is the Spider Labyrinth, uh, which is this Italian film that feels like the third part of the Mother's Trilogy. It was made around then. It was 1988. It hasn't got a good release in America yet, and it's a film we kind of stumbled upon. It doesn't have a It has no real release. Yeah, no, I think I had to find a file. But this film is... I, the day somebody does, everyone's going to be like, whoa, what the fuck? It's it's this American researcher goes to Budapest to work with this doctor. They're working on dead languages. So it's very Lovecraft. They worked on a project called Intextus. And so they're trying to, he, he has to go see this guy. And it turns out the guy, is, this professor he's going to find has kind of gone mad. And he has to talk to the person's secretary. And as he's there, this crazy looking woman with like red hair and sh- sharp fang type teeth is going around knocking people off so you think you're kind of watching mm-hmm. uh suspiria giallo yes. thing but then yeah. it starts going more into this dark occult group and by the end of this thing you're you're watching insane practical effects you're you're watching uh there's a scene where a spider goes into a small hole on someone's arm that is utterly like just so brilliantly it's, done effects wise it's Silvio civiletti who's just one of the you know the demons and everything effects he's a great effects guy d- does the effects so this is not some cheapy that like throwaway movie this is like layered and weird and very lovecraftian um and where it la- lands i wouldn't have thought it was cosmic until like the last act and then it goes full force i mean honestly it's one of the best things on this list and yet no one mm. has really seen it yet. And and sometimes we <clears throat> talk about rare movies just because it's like they, they do grow in your mind because they're not available. But this is one that I do believe if somebody put out like a Demons or something would catch on. And it's a little more cerebral than Demons, but it's a really interesting movie. And it ends with this really occult cult group worshipping something that you're like, this is what I think of now as the subgenre. So this one for people looking yeah. for it, there is ways to see it. And I'm sure go to YouTube, watch a trailer, get a sense of what it is, but it's spider lab. No one I've talked to has told me the why this doesn't exist anywhere. I don't know if there's a good reason, a rights reason. I figure there'd have to be, or else Severin would, I would put hope. this out yeah. right now. Um, or Blue Underground. Like one you of them know. has to have their finger on yeah. the pulse of this. I remember when we watched this, um, when we found the bootleg file and and we both watched it, it was around the same time I watched Empty Man. And they were exactly. both doing yeah. something so similar. Um, and it was wild to see it. Like Empty Man, this massive film with these giant ideas based on a Colin Bunn story. And it is truly cosmic horror. Like that's not my number three, but yeah. And then at the same time, like literally within days, I watched Spider Labyrinth and I was like, here it is on a totally small indie scale in 1988 that no one has seen. And there was a lot that Spider Labyrinth did that I was like, oh, fuck, that's next Mm -hmm. level. Um, Just some really good stuff. Yeah, really interesting. So hopefully someone listening will put that movie (laughs) out for everyone. (laughs) That'd be nice. Yeah. So Morgan, you're number three. 
Oh gosh. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not sticking to any list. So I'm just, this is just the third movie I'll talk about because, because yeah, ordering these, I probably would have put a Hellraiser much yeah. higher, but this is all very difficult. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, I finally watched it. Uh, apologies to my friends who made it. Uh, but, uh, the ritual, uh, David Bruckner's mm-hmm. the ritual, um, which is similar to what you were just saying, Elric, where it's not, you're not quite sure if it's cosmic until until the last act and then it gets it gets very kind mm-hmm. of there's a literal demigod that shows up and and some of the best creature that stuff that you'll ever see and um, it's like a smash between Fokar and Cosmicar, like a dead smash right yeah, yeah. it yeah. landed with me really right. well and the the cast is it's it's a very simple setup and it's it's you know guys hiking it it's almost like as far as the setup it's very similar to the descent mm. uh you know it's a, a tragedy happens in the in the first act and so a group go off into the wilderness and end up uh, coming across something they shouldn't um the the stuff that sets this one apart though is i loved the the dreams throughout yeah. where mm-hmm. this london convenience store appears in the middle of this creepy ass norwegian forest the the it production design of that too. was stunning. It was yeah. so good. Um, it's really creepy. Rafe Spall is is terrific, but the whole cast is really good. And then it all kind of builds to this creature reveal uh, in the third act, which, like, it could have just been a sequel to that that bear movie, The Edge, with Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin. It could have just been a big bear, and it probably mm-hmm. still would have been pretty cool until this monster that is. Yeah, wow. it is Lovecraftian where it's like it's unknowable and looking upon it will drive you mm-hmm. mad. Like it's maybe one of the closest things that I've actually seen to that. And you go, yeah, that's how I would well, describe it. Well, they have those, <laughs> they have those dreams at night where one of them I think even pisses himself in his sleep because it's so scary. Yes. And that and that's really effective. Yeah. Um and yeah. they find like um like tokens or like talismans of it. Right. They find things where it's been worshipped throughout. Right. Like there's a lot leading up to it as well. The sound they design. Kind of yeah, another five years, yeah. and I think that film will have a similar reputation <laughs> as The Descent. It's it's on that level of craft. It's a very good film, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, yeah, it's no uh, David David Bruckner's execution is is always uh, he's he's a great guy and, and a tremendous filmmaker. Uh, his execution is is which should give us all hope just, for the new. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Uh, so that, yeah, that that's coming right. to Hulu soon. Um, and by yeah. the way, I will also say Josh and Sierra Russell, who who created that, uh, created our monster yeah. for the end of Glorious as well. And, um, yeah, Ritual and the new Hellraiser. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, quick segue because yep. you were talking about Empty Man, and that's definitely one that people should, if they're wanting to understand a recent film that does it. But I did want to mention it's not quite on my list because it's a short film. But I, the one I pointed you to not long ago, it's called AM Twelve Hundred. It is. I showed it in yeah. my class, in my horror it's class. It's so good. Summer. It's Great. 39 minutes cool. by the same director as Empty Man, and it is a big short. It's one of those shorts that look expensive, and it is a guy who basically does something at work, rips off some people, and drives on the road, and he starts getting a frequency on his radio of kind of a help signal, and he goes to a local radio station. And from that moment on, it is one of the most perfect examples of cosmic horror i've seen it's so mm-hmm. simplified it is cool. there is something there locking people there there's a creature it has payoff it's a, it's a terrific film it's on vimeo um highly recommend that um so that's my side <laughs> my my quick my quick yeah. other uh, this is another weird one i won't go too deep into I, another discovery i had i didn't get oh. to do my number oh, three oh, jumping back back is you're cutting. Right, you're cutting sorry. Yes, I want um for my number three your this is way. I tried. the stuff. Yeah. Um, 1985's the Larry. stuff. 
This is everything I love in the world. It is a satire. It's absurdist. It's a horror comedy. It's making a social statement. I'm just making a lot of social statements all in one swoop. Um, I love this stuff so much. It's that unknowable. It arrives here. Is it good? Is it bad? We don't know. We're going to exploit the shit out of it. And then it goes from there. Um, and I love this one so much just because it's trying to do such beautiful 1980s satire. And they use it as a health product, which is brilliant. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a <clears throat> unlikely, I don't think that would be an obvious, like the, well, it's not Lovecraftian, but it's very much cosmic car because we don't know where the goop comes from. So it's another example like that, I think. Yeah. But totally. Yeah, no. And I no, And how much it becomes infused into society immediately. And yeah, it's used as a health, as a health supplement throughout. Um, no, I love this stuff so much. So yeah, I consider that to be a great cosmic satire. I think it would double pretty well with your film. Actually, they'd play pretty fun. They'd probably be quite fun together. I think in some ways. I think so sure. too, actually. Now that I'm thinking totally, yeah. I definitely have to say I probably um, leaned a good bit on the yeah, stuff. Comedy horror. Um, okay. Uh, the next one was, I'll, I'll do it lightly. This is another discovery from a couple years ago uh, from the director of Tetsuo. He made this film that's the opposite of that called Haruko the Goblin. And this thing is actually the most Lovecraftian in terms of there's a few images. Wow. Yeah, there, wild, there's some images where you'll be like, holy shit, how did they shoot that? So it is a uh, it's summer at this like high school and some kids come back to the high school to just mess around and they're looking for one of their missing friends and they quickly find that their friend's uh, decapitated head is on the spider creature, uh, uh, which is actually some sort of uh, spider-like goblin that has been sent. Uh, and it turns out that this entire school was built uh, on a gateway to hell or whatever you want to liken it to, uh, kind of like another perfect, um, uh, probably the most perfect image of cosmic horror ever created, I would argue, even though the rest of the film doesn't feel as cosmic, is the Beyond's final image is the best, I would call oh, yeah. it the greatest cosmic horror moment ever captured because it's so unknowable this film has a lot like that but this is also goofy comedic it's like evil dead mixed with it's almost a Stuart gordon vibe it's not at all like sukimoto's other films it's not serious and dark in those ways but it has this image where at some point they follow this creature into the kind of hellgate and you see thousands of these weird spiders with human heads on them and it is one of the most incredible images I, I i think i've seen the last couple of years where you're like this is a fucking bonkers movie and it finally just got a wow. blu-ray so it exists out there to be seen and i i just i thought it was so much fun again it's not got the it's not lovecraft because it's not got that serious tone this is a whole different um thing and much more like the gordon's version of a, of a lovecraft myth but highly recommend Hiroko the goblin really fun Excellent. amazing and you're number two morgan See, no, I'm yeah, rejecting me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rejecting your numbering, Becca. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all of the obsessives out there. I apologize. Um, but I will say, uh, in that in that same tonal vein, in that sort of, you know, talk about like being able to be silly or or even a little meta about things, Cabin in the Woods. Um oh, yeah. which is still just God, such a good script. And and from I it's one of those movies where you revisit and you're like, you almost want to go back to the first time you watched mm-hmm. it, where the way Cabin in the Woods starts, you have no idea no. what is going on. And then mm-hmm. it just crashes into credits and you're like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Bradley Whitford and uh, and uh, Richard Jenkins just, you know, it's like the office with Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins for a little while. And then it's slowly, yeah, it's this um 
unveiling and this uh, uh, this revealing of this ancient thing and what and the all the stuff that's happening to to appease these ancient deities uh and that it has affected all of our mythology and storytelling in that beautiful way which i love i i love you know looking at storytelling and looking at the cyclical nature of things and looking at how uh the mythology of of, of ancient things it's it's not that different you know i I'm a, I've, I've done a lot of Shakespeare in my day. So you, you find a lot of cyclical, you know, it's like, we're still talking about the same stuff, guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're no smarter than they were back then. We just have different ways of saying things, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, and Cabin in the Woods is, is so clever and so beautifully done. It's able to execute, like, the little subgenres throughout it. But overall, it's a cosmic yeah. horror. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for my not number two, just random <laughs> order, I am going to go with John dies at yeah. the end. Wow. Um, yeah. I love this movie so much. I actually love anything by David Wong. Like I have, that is one of those authors where I feel like I've read most of his books, any Amazing. of the ones that I could get my hands on. Um, and John dies at the end. This is Don Coscarelli who did Phantasm. So of course he's going to knock it out of the park with this. It's big ideas, but in the most accessible package of Chase Williamson um, <laughs> as, as he grimaces you, at the camera. I love Chase so much. Um, yeah. And this is, this guy who happens upon this drug at the part at a party called soy sauce that supposedly opens your mind so that you can see other dimensions. And then all of a sudden he starts getting phone calls from his best friend, John saying that he's trapped in another this dimension that he has to come get him. And honestly, I do not know what happens through chunks of this movie. Um, there's a lot of interdimensional travel. There's a lot of weird stuff. There's a meat monster at one point. Um, people's hands disappear and then reappear. It's, it's a wild fucking trip. But for me, this is another one of those cosmic things. Um, There's characters that you talk to that you find out don't exist or exist in different planes or exist as different things. Um, It's just a wild, cerebral, absurdist cosmic movie that I love. I'm proud of how funny our list is because, (sighs) boy, boy, cosmic horror, like a lot of the lists you go down, you're like, oh, this is a this is a depresso fest. Uh, Lovecraft (laughs) isn't a barrel of laughs. Kudos to the three of us. Yeah. Well, I will say a lot getting a bunch of laughs out of this list. When I was looking at cosmic horror, like the the whole absurdity thing kind of came hand in hand. Like the other one that I was considering for my number two spot was Quatermass in the Pit, which is just pure absurdity. Never oh, gotten man. into those movies. I've never watched any of those movies. I, re- I remember Turek, Ryan Turek would talk talked about them, but it, I, I it's, honestly, I've never watched a second of any of them. They're all great. Um, Quatermass Experiment, the first one, and Quatermass in the Pit are by far the best. Both super Lovecraftian, both super cosmic at the same time. Um, Quatermass Experiment, the first one, guy goes up to space, um, comes back. He's the last surviving uh, astronaut of the mission um, and something's on his hand and it starts changing him. Um, And so it very much is like a lurking fear type Lovecraftian evolution. Um, Yeah. And and Quatermass in the Pit is just, they're just throwing everything they can at that board and seeing what sticks. But Mm -hmm. it gets in aliens and telepathy and infusion insanity and religion. And are the aliens actually our interpretation of Satan? And oh, and they're insects. It's, It's a lot. It's a lot in there. But it's all very cosmic and very absurdist at the same time. And I have to assume it knew what it was 
what it was doing. Yeah, so that's your that's your uh, second to last, right? Number two is John dies at the um, end. All right, there's a couple that I realized I like. There's part of me wanted to go, hey, you know, the Manitou has that vibe, but because it it is in cosmic arc as you see them in the plane, but because it's explainable through a Native American lore, suddenly it stops feeling cosmic horror. You know what I mean? And that's what mm-hmm. I mean by like witches too. Sometimes it's just a thing can bring it back to earth. Right. Uh, two, the, two interesting ones that aren't really horror that I did want to like mention. I know Becca loves as well. Uh, they have a feeling of cosmic horror without being horror films are uh, both by Peter Weir, Picnic at Hanging Rock and The Last Wave. And they are both very, oh, yes. there's just this quality to both of them that you can't pin down the otherness i love peter weir i don't know if i've ever seen the last wave when was it's that a couple of years good. after 70, hanger rock yeah. and it's it's really good i love Pick uh, last wave almost feels more a little bit more leaning more into genre um but it's still yeah. cool. aboriginal dreaming you know kind of story but anyway those are very interesting ones look i, I yeah, And I have to give a mad shout out to the um, limited series Picnic at Hanging Rock that played on Amazon Prime probably right. five years ago because it leans even further into the cosmic horror. It definitely pushes it a little bit more and goes other places. I'm still certain you're the only um, person who's great. ever seen it. Yeah, I, I've never heard anyone except you talk I about remember. it. <laughs> I remember that it existed. Yeah. I did not watch it, but it's yeah, I had a good cast. Too. I wish yeah. more people I, I had heard... seen it. I should have seen it. Yeah. I should still see yeah. it. It's probably still there. Um, right. The, I, you know, so I kind of broke, like, I love the beyond and things like that obviously are my favorites. This isn't my favorite movie, but I think it's real interesting and it breaks my initial description, which is not religion based, but I think this one is wrestling with a mixture and that is the weird fucking movie that is Michael Winner's The Sentinel because to me that movie has this quality to it because it's like a portal to hell or whatever inside of New York brownstone being guarded over by a blind priest and a woman being kind of uh, she's being groomed to take over this role and so yes it's got all this religion around it but like Prince of Darkness there's something else going on that's fucking way weirder way less old naked people walking past camera the weird portal it's i think it's a very good horror film a very straight has some weird tangents for sure they're very rosemary's baby uh characters and side uh birthday parties for cats <laughs> and things like that birthday that's the <laughs> that best good scene, scene. The cat needed a birthday but, but at its core it's also well, a really no, the sex movie. scene simultaneous yes. to the cat's birthday party is yeah the but so even, even though it's I, religion or catholicism trying to ca- contain something i think it's cosmic horror trying to be contained by our religions and i think maybe there's an even better remake to be made or something you know out there mm-hmm. i remember that from uh I, I feel like i have seen the movie but it was like a long 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 time ago and but i remember it even more clearly from grady hendrix's paperbacks I, from hell because I, <laughs> I believe he has a whole chapter because that was based on a that makes on sense a paper, yeah on a, fairly successful pulpy paperback from yeah the but anyway some of these are like i say some of them have a, a even if it's just one element of what we're talking about sometimes that element is done so well in the movie it sticks with you yeah yeah my so i'm gonna again cheat and do use two movies as my number one but they're both they're both some of my favorite movies ever made and they i both wonder how cosmic horror they are but i feel like they do so it's the mist and the th- and the thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Classic. But I mean but, but straight up. 
Right, but like the madness quotient of the mist, for instance, is definitely unknown, it's definitely unknowable, all this stuff. But also, there's a part of the mist that just feels like, no, that's how people would act if you put them in the grocery store together. There's not there's not going insane. That's that's just reality of how mm-hmm. people are. <laughs> you people know, act in the grocery store now. Right now. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, correct. Like I don't the think the last we few years monsters. have put the mist in stark, you know, in stark relief. Oh, yeah. Uh so so there's definitely something unknowing, uh, unknowable and, and strange and otherworldly going on in the mist. But there's also something very grounded and real about the mist, which makes it almost more terrifying. So I don't know. I Maybe I need to rewatch it to, to look for the cosmic. No, it, it is. The, if you read the short, the short story of that one, that was like the first king that I ever was like, I want to make that because it was like 40 pages. Sure. And so it was even stronger. I think it's the most cosmic horror than King ever because King isn't really that guy. King's the neighborhood horror. He's good at finding the weird mm-hmm. shit in your neighborhood. And that one, that story is very different, you know, I think. Um, so I think that's a yeah. good example but it's all it's also in in uh, uh Dar- yeah. right yeah uh Darabont's, yeah. uh execution of it though too where it does feel very yeah. grounded um even though what's going on outside is is horrible and and unknowable right. and keeps changing uh, um, and yeah what it is yeah. Yeah. but then and then the thing is a similar way where it's it's you know it's just these this group of guys in this in this desolate place. It's very Lovecraftian in that same way, similar to you know Hearts of Darkness or anything like that. Um, but the mental aspect also almost comes in much later. The madness aspect, which is something we played with a little bit with Glorious, where it's like there is a reading of the movie where Gat never existed. Yeah, we we edit it so that you know we could have this interpretation of did the did this thing even exist? Um, which and so which yeah. uh, to to us, I mean, I, I've we've seen some reviews where it's like it feels kind of ambiguous. I'll be honest, to us, it's not ambiguous. No, nope, we uh, knew we, straight up he existed. Yeah, it wasn't ambiguous yeah, to yeah, me. It, it feels like it really happened. It yeah. fully happened. Yeah, but yeah, it, which is actually it's a similar because. Uh, I would have never put it on my list because that feels uncouth. But there's a wonderful movie I made called Absentia, which is a very cosmic horror. So watch that. I, I thought of that for yeah. sure um, when, we're, when we're looking at these. Thank you. I'm very proud of it, Mike Flanagan. Uh, wonderful, wonderful film uh, from 2011. We made it for very little money. Uh, well, another another quality but, to the thing, though, is but, the outsider thing, which is very much Lovecraft yes. is obviously a pretty angry suspicious bigoted person is somebody who didn't he's an well, asshole. But he, no he's an asshole but also beyond that he's obviously Xenophobia. somebody who didn't trust others didn't trust other yeah. and didn't want to know other people and that feels like the end <laughs> right. of the thing is about like who do you trust you, these two you know you don't know where it is you don't know what it is and i think right. that comes across pretty well in that um yeah it's also for, no that's 100 percent yeah, Which that again, lack of trust is is screaming in the mist as course, well. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's right there in Event Horizon. It's there in all these other yeah. movies. Isolation, uh, fear of the other, all of that. But also, but speaking to the the perceived ambiguity about things, Absentia was something very similar. Where we would have Q and As, and people were like, "Wait, so what happened?" It were like, "So what?" I was like, "It's very," and we was often said, "It's very clear to us what happened." Yeah. Um, but if you want to think something else happened, go mm-hmm. ahead. I, yeah. We think we show you what happened yeah. <laughs> and it's not a good thing. Um, but yeah, but if you, if you think there's a chance that something better happened, be my guest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe it's because the, these things do a little bit of mental gymnastics in terms of people trying to make sense of something. Even if it's right there on the screen, they're like, mm-hmm. but that's not possible. And that's the kind of horror yeah, we're dealing right. with. It's the not, not possible by our logic. 
it's also in, so, and it's the it's the beauty of filmmaking and art in general, which is you don't want to tell people really too much of what to think. You know, it's it's like we this is how we tried to tell you this story. If you took something different from it, fascinating. Be my guest. And you know who I have to give a mad shout out to just because this is every single one of their movies is Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Yeah, every yes. single one of their movies, they somehow bring in this cosmic vein. But do not tell you enough so that you know every single thing that's going on. Um, even in the most recent one, Something in the Dirt, which I, I saw just today, is going to Fantastic Fest. Um, yeah. It's fun. It's it's their pandemic film. It's just the two of them for you know ninety percent of the movie. But there's it's still Justin and Aaron true to form, where it's exploring these big cosmic ideas in the smallest possible way with the two of them, and it stays within kind of the endless mythology. I'll say. Um, but yeah, it's that, that idea that they're not going to give you all the information. What is the thing at the end of the resolution? We don't know. I still don't know. And I know them. Um, you know, what exactly <laughs> happens in endless, they know, but they're not going to tell you every single thing. Spring um, as well, yeah. For, I mean, yeah, what, spring, what, is, what is she exactly? She's kind of vampiric, but you know, it's kind, nah, of, kind of a lot of yeah, things. A lot of yeah. things. Um, so I have a bunch that I will casually mention, but I'll say that the last one on my list was kind of the one that I felt had to be on the list, which was In the Mouth of Madness from 1996. Mm-hmm. This Carpenter's other big, 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 big cosmic horror. And this one's weird because it has nothing to do with space whatsoever. Space becomes right. cerebral in it. Um, but it is all about kind of going this author who's looking for this other or this investigator who's been kind of tasked to find this author. And so he's going to this town that he does not know exists and he's able to find it. And from there, it's one big cerebral nightmare of not knowing what's real, what's not real. Are you part of the author's construction? Are you your own individual person? When are you back into reality? I love this so much because this, um, when I saw this in 1994, there was very little like this out in the 90s. Like there was no giant monster in it. There was not a band of people fighting it. They did not have guns or giant snakes. And um, it didn't so it, land. I mean, it, yeah. did, it did not do well if memory serves. It fucked yeah. me up. Like as soon as that oh, guy sure. comes open with, uh, opens his eyes with the double pupils and he's like, have you read Sutter Kane? Like I was fucked up. I was like a teenager at the time. And this became one of my immediate favorite things. But I remember thinking about this for days. Um, like even just the line, I have to do it. He wrote me this way. Um, like it just this film haunted me for days um more so than any other carpenter film has and he's also doing and more lovecraft I he's love doing literal lovecraft too yeah. like he's doing like some tentacle um, scene or so he's he's like mixing it i think it's one of the best feeling of a lovecraftian adaptation without actually being one yeah uh and that's three carpenter films we all just mentioned which just tells us he is more in that vein than say he is a king guy even though he did christine yes. right? you know christine's a, more of an outlier well, i will say it in a I way, in a way, have. in the mouth of madness feels feels very Lovecraft and very King mm-hmm. at the same yeah. time. It kind of feels like both yeah, of because of the right is yeah weird merging of both. And I did have one more King on my list as a mention. I had in the tall grass on here because this was one of my pandemic gems that I saw. Um, but for me, in the tall grass is cosmic horror, where it's just people trapped in tall grass. They can't get out. They realize that they're traveling time. It's jumping location. It's jumping, you know, all of these different things. It very much becomes the unexplainable 
in a field of grass. Mm. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed this movie. And this one, it did not feel like King for me, um, mm. but it is. It's King and Joe Hill. I think that they work together on this one. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it feels very cosmic. But I feel like we also need to mention Annihilation. Um, oh, just yeah, that's yes. like the big one from the past couple of years that everybody immediately. Annihilation was to. was one where in pieces that I, I love Alex Garland. I, I love him uh, in pieces. That movie is some of the most effective, terrifying stuff. The bear sequence. I struggle to think of a sequence in a film sitting in the theater where I was more terrified than that. It's a particularly sequence. good theater the the whole... experience. It was great in the theater. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, the movie as a whole didn't totally land uh for me but but in pieces that that movie is stunning and uh great performances all around i mean oscar isaac looking haunted uh will get you to do anything yeah there's lots of other big movies and lots of things astray lots of and we can we have a longer list that i know we're publishing it sometimes this month on our patreon uh messiah of evils another fantastic one of my favorite movies and that has definitely got a cosmic band a lot of movies have it because we don't know how to fit them into other categories in some ways Mm -hmm. right Two and, smaller and, indie projects that I'll mention from the the last like decade or so. Coherence, mm-hmm. uh, Coherence is very much is a cosmic great. horror yeah. is great. And they look like people is very yeah. much kind of unexplained. What is going yeah. on? Uh, you're going, you're kind of going mad. Is it, is it, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, are, are, are you schizophrenic or are, are you actually seeing yeah, Perry Blackshear yeah. film? I, I've liked all his mm-hmm. films since then too. So yeah, very good. Yeah. Excellent. I'm going to drop my uh, bold horror choice here. I'm going to say, rewatch the first half of Phantoms. I've said this on prior podcasts. Rewatch the first half of Phantoms. Don't go into the second, just the first half. I'll do you better. Read the book. Really good. Really good cosmic horror. Look, Dean Koontz, mostly rightfully, uh, you know, but but the book of Phantoms is still one of the scariest books Mm. I've ever read. Uh, and if just taken uh, on its own, it's terrifying. Is that uh, in the book? Yeah, it. <laughs> he's, he's the bomb, oh, he's the bomb in the book as well. Okay. <laughs> Peter O'Toole less the bomb in the book. He's just not. <laughs> I, I have not seen that since it came out, and I, I feel tempted to give it a rewatch because it it landed with a big old thud for just me. Just the but... first half. I don't yeah. know if you need to keep going right. after right. the talking dog shows up or anything like that, but. Just that first half when they arrive in the town and they're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on has some amazing horror. We moments. just ended an um, hour and 13 minute conversation about cosmic horror with phantoms. Just so you know, with we book ended it with phantom. So let's, let's segue. I'll take, go back to annihilation. No, no, we'll, end, we'll end it with, <laughs> Hey, you should watch glorious on shutter right now after this episode yes. and enjoy it and tell, Thank tell these you. two creators what you thought of it and they will appreciate that. So, uh, or, yes. uh, if you liked it, write like <laughs> uh, directly to JK no, about kidding. it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes uh, for sure. And his home. Thanks for now. joining us for this, uh, detailed in-depth dive into cosmic horror, Mr. Uh, Morgan. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, it's always good. It's always nice to talk to my friends about movies. Yeah. So happy always here. Come back again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, to all of our listeners at home, please be sure to check out our Patreon, um, where we will be posting two additional episodes this month, our deep cut episodes. Um, and I've got some weird stuff I've been watching that oh, I can't wait to talk I about. I watched there. three, I watched three Lovecraft things, adaptations I hadn't seen. None of them were good enough to put on the show, but I'm gonna talk about them there. <laughs> so oh, they're very yeah. strange, okay. very strange movies. 
wild. Okay, so please check that out. And otherwise, we will be back in two weeks with Colors of the Dark. Thank you guys so much for listening. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.